to be fair, Jadea Ross said in the article, and this is the last part of it, I love Elon. We need more industry here. I just don't want him dumping his, you know, garbage into the river. I think the word he used was poop. Okay. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. That, that's, I believe that's the exact quote. We Alright, and welcome everybody to another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is Talking Space episode 1505 for the week of Monday, June 5th, 2023. I am Sawyer Rosenstein. I'm glad to be back, and I'm glad to be joined by the awesome panel that includes Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. And Sawyer, it's darn glad to hear your voice, and I'm so darn, darn happy you're back at the helm. Thank you. It's good to be back. Uh, welcome as well, Mark Ratterman. Another of the cast of rotating characters. Good to be here. Always good to have you. And uh, Larry Heron, welcome as well. Good to be here. I'm glad we're all together and rolling. Absolutely. Speaking of rolling, let's get rolling right into our news roundup off the top. Uh, and I think we'll start off at the moon for this one. Uh, we now know who will be landing on the moon for Artemis we have the uh, first ones we know are already going to Starship for three and four. But uh, Gene, who's sending us to the moon next? It's the infamous national team with Blue Origin taking point. It doesn't look like, however, if you take a look at the picture that was released, uh, the new lander uh, that they're 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 putting together, it does not look a thing like the the first lander that they put up in the competition. Also, um, I don't believe Northrop Grumman is in this league here either. They um, were on the team with, uh, with the, uh, the Dianetics lander, uh, which unfortunately was not selected, but uh, it looks like, again, the national team is, is up and rolling and they're, they're going to go ahead and ready to go and, and get the, the second lander put together. Um, it's, I, I'm still trying to, to take a look at it and try to piece together how this, this lander is, is configured, you know, where the main engines are, where everything is, but it looks like the actual hab section is, is below this, this larger primary section here. So I'm, it's an interesting design. I need to learn more about it to, to go ahead and pass judgment, but this looks like it's going to get the, uh, as you said, Sawyer, it's going to get the nod for Artemis Five, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing it fly. I believe the uh, the vehicle, I think, will be the new Glenn once they they get that vehicle up and going. Um, but yeah, yeah, and the name, the official name of the lander is Blue Moon. Indeed, and I'll bet you that song is going to be played to 
death as we, we, we go deeper and deeper into this. So congratulations to the national team. Looking forward to seeing what they do with, with the contract. And uh, let's see them get us to the moon. Which, just so you know, for the contract, it is a firm fixed price contract of $3.4 billion. Indeed. And uh, uh, I'm again, I'm looking forward to seeing what, what they do here. Again, this is the same kind of uh, this is the same kind of operation that they did for, you know, commercial cargo, commercial crew. Uh, we definitely have seen the wisdom of having two providers. One gets in into some trouble, you know, the other one can can pick up the slack. Uh, we saw that demonstrated in commercial cargo early on. Uh, when one team when one team member faltered, the other one picked up the slack, and unfortunately, that team member faltered, and uh, the other one then picked up the slack once they they got their return to flight mission going. And of course, we see the wisdom now too. Uh, we'll get into that a little later with uh, commercial crew as well. So again, the, the, I think NASA is doing the right thing in having two providers here. Yeah, and I do. While we're talking about Artemis, I do want to give a shout out to the country Spain, which has now recently signed on to the Artemis Accords. Uh, for those who aren't aware, the Artemis Accords are basically a set of principles that all these nations are agreeing upon as we continue space exploration and, in theory, cooperate together among all of these nations, both with NASA's Artemis program, Lunar Gateway, and beyond. Indeed, and I have to go, go ahead and give a shout out to Mike Gold, who is now with Redwire. Uh, he was the, the the architect of the Artemis Accords, uh, along with Jim Bredenstein. And uh, if you please, if if you haven't read them, please read them. They make sense. Uh, they lay out a, a an, an idea for for and no, for behaviors and norms on the lunar surface, and basically trying to go ahead and you know, carry out exploration in a, in a good, you know, logical and, and peaceful manner. So, the, I mean, Mike Gold is always saying we want the future to look more like Star Trek than Star Wars. And <laughs> I think, I think he, that's what he meant to do with, with the Artemis Accords. So again, a, a tip of the hat to Mike Gold. By the way, if you do get a chance, he they did do a presentation on the Artemis Accords and on what Redwire is up to. Um, it's out there on YouTube on their on the uh, Redwire uh, YouTube site. So take a look. Exactly. Continuing along now, we are going to go to the West Coast for a little bit of the United States. Uh, and I guess a hint of New Zealand goes with it. We have previously mentioned that Virgin Orbit, uh, had to file for bankruptcy and is kind of not existent really anymore. Uh, so now Rocket Lab, uh, those who currently launch the Electron rocket out of New Zealand and Wallops Island, Virginia, are leasing out Virgin Orbit's Long Beach, California headquarters. And they get, uh, certain parts of the production, the machinery, equipment and all the things that come with the building itself. Indeed. And this will probably give uh, the neutron rocket, which is the next step in what rocket lab wants to do. And again, this will be launching primarily, I believe out of wallops, but they want to get a fabrication center put together. And I think this, this place here will, 
will help uh, help get that going. So Virgin Orbit's demise will, you know, at least help Rocket Lab evolve uh, the neutron rocket. So we'll see what happens as things go forward. And just for comparison, because, you know, we've talked about New Glenn and then their Starship and all these big rockets. So it sounds like they're going massive with this. Keep in mind, they are a small sat launcher. So their current electron vehicle is on the smaller side. So their scaled up version will be closer to the size of a Falcon 9 as opposed to like a Starship. Yeah, exactly. And actually, if, if I, if I remember exactly, the electron is, is, is really geared toward uh small as you pointed out for to to small sats and uh i mean they just launched um to i mean the second mm-hmm. the second constellation set up for um for nasa on on a uh, uh on on a hurricane uh the tropics yes thank you I, my 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 brain just ran and hit i apologize sorry um but yes they just launched all four of the rest of the tropics con- constellation and uh they continued to to get that small sat sat market going and and really really vitalizing it so what rocket lab is is to the small sat market um i guess spacex is really to the to the rest of the market that's a good comparison i think yeah i mean the i mean spacex you know like it or not is has revolutionized uh, the, uh, the whole market. Now, you know, the, the funny thing is here they were a few years ago, uh, literally suing the Air Force to get into that, that, that niche of the market. And now they've sort of become the 800 pound gorilla, if you will, of, uh, of the, uh, the usual of the satellite uh, market. And also they may be launching to, uh, Cygnus for a little for a little while after uh, the Antares two thirty flies out. Right. Uh, moving along, while we're talking about uh, Virgin Orbit, I see a lot of confusion always between Virgin Orbit and Virgin Galactic. Virgin Orbit bankruptcy. Virgin Galactic just successfully completed its return to flight from Spaceport America in New Mexico. The Unity twenty five mission carried four employees and two pilots up to their version of the delineation of space. Take that definition as you will, as it varies based on country and location. Uh, And they successfully landed back on the runway after being dropped from the mothership, basically. So this is the final test run, they claim, ahead of finally bringing on paying passengers to fly aboard Virgin Galactic. Yeah, sorry. The odd thing to it is they didn't provide a lot of the coverage that they usually provide with that. I mean, it, it was really, they kind of flew it under the radar. And to be honest with you, if it weren't for, I want to put in a plug for your employer on the side there. Sir. If it wasn't for the folks over at NASA Spaceflight, we probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have gotten any visual uh, record of the flight. And I want to just go ahead and send out a shout out to those, to those folks over there, especially the gentleman that was literally on his back on the ground, uh, taking shots of this thing as, as it was flying and, uh, and completing its mission. So, 
um, hats off to to uh, NASA Spaceflight for uh, for bringing us that coverage because nobody else was doing it. Yeah, the cameraman for that, his name is Jack Beyer, B-E-Y-E-R. And yeah, he deserves all of the props for that, as that was the only live stream. They were doing live tweeting, which reminded me of the days when we were all on our phones waiting for Elon to update something about SpaceX. Yes. But but yeah, they were all tweets, uh, including some, I believe, that were sent prematurely, saying that the mothership had landed when it hadn't. But um, regardless, it was a successful flight. And the next flight they are aiming for next month uh, to try and get paying passengers finally flying. Indeed. And if um, Jack, if you're listening, uh, I I owe you your your favorite adult beverage if I ever get to meet you. Good mm-hmm. job. And uh, speaking of private missions to space, the Axiom 2 mission is finally complete. This was the second all-private mission to the International Space Station, uh, and that successfully splashed down, uh, I believe it was the 31st, uh, the crew of four finally returning to Earth. Uh, according to stats from Axiom Space themselves, the crew spent eight days on the International Space Station, conducted 20 STEM or STEAM outreach events, uh, completed 26 research projects, in cooperation with 19 research partners. The mission in total lasted 10 days, uh, and the official splashdown time was May 30th at 11.04 p.m. Eastern. And it's they had a real good commander for that flight, Peggy Whitson, who is just an absolute legend when it comes to, to folks that uh, uh, have been in the astronaut corps. Uh, from what I understand, too, uh, this mission may have gone a little bit better than the AX-1 mission, uh, probably because you had somebody like Peggy Whitson in charge of the flight and in charge of, of the crew and so on. So uh, I have not yet heard, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll apologize, folks. Uh, I was in a, I was in a, a science uh, NASA advisory a council meeting and I was not following the AX2 mission a lot but um from what I understand this mission went very very smoothly as in in compared to uh some of the blips that occurred during the AX1 mission so Axum's learned a lot and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what they do once they start getting their modules deployed on the on the ISS that's their eventual goal they they will go ahead and have their own space station and will be part of the, uh, the commercial uh, LEO destinations program. And a quick mention that I do want to make of the significance of this mission. In addition to all of that, uh, you now have Peggy Whitson, who was the first female commander of the ISS originally, the now the first female commander of a private space mission. Uh, her cumulative time in space record increased to 674 days. Uh, Ali Al-Karni and Rayana Barnawi are the first Saudi astronauts to visit the ISS. And Barnawi is the first Saudi female to go to space. And John Schaffner, the fourth member, was the first person from Alaska to fly to space. That last one's really interesting. I know that, I know that the, uh, uh, the folks over in the Middle East, especially the Saudis, were really, really excited to have finally their flag flying 
in space again. Uh, they were, I believe they were not the first, um, Saudis to fly. I believe that happened in, I believe it was 1985. That was during the space shuttle program. Yes, exactly. During the shuttle program. Um, when, when they had the, uh, the payload specialist category, uh, put in, but, um, uh, Again, the Middle East is getting really, really interesting with spaceflight. I mean, you have the UAE with the Hope mission and their aspirations, the Saudis too with their aspirations. So we'll see what happens, see what, uh, what bubbles out of the Middle East when it comes to spaceflight. And one last record here that I just remembered is that uh, this was the first time we ever had 17 people in space at the same time when you count the crew dragons, uh, including Axiom. You count the Soyuz on the ISS. You count Tiangong, the Chinese space station, and adding in the crew from Unity 25. At one point, there were 17 people in space. We have come a long way. Yes, we have. And speaking of a long way, you want to send your name a long way? Like maybe out to Europa on the upcoming Europa Clipper mission? Now you can. NASA is holding a website now where, you know, we've been able to put your name on a microchip or a card or something like that that's going to, say, Mars. This one is interesting. This one, you are able to sign your name on a poem called In Praise of Mystery, a poem for Europa. Adali Mon is the one who wrote it. it. If you go to the NASA site, you can get to read it. It's really a touching poem. And sign the message that will head on its way to the icy moon of Jupiter. And I'm already on board. <laughs> As am I. <laughs> and we'll we'll throw a link to that uh, to the message on the bottle website on in the show notes once we're once this the show goes live. Exactly. We'll be right back. You know, we do a lot of talking here on Talking Space about a wide variety of space-related stuff. But there's a lot more to talk about and report on in the universe of space. Oh, so much more. Is there something you'd like us to pay more attention to than we do? Or perhaps pay not so much attention to? But if your answer is, yeah, about a little less SpaceX, then I wouldn't hold your breath with this crew. The point is, we'd like to hear from you. Let us know what you think. Send us an email to mailbag at talkingspaceonline.com. You can also attach a short audio file with your comment or question, and we'll play it on the show if we can. Come on, don't be shy. Hey, I think I sound stupid, and I'm doing it. And if I can, you can. Can't wait to hear from you. Thanks. And now back to the show. All right, on to some of the uh, longer form topics here. I know we went a little long with the space news, but there was some good stuff in there. And we've got a few interesting topics that we want to spend a little more time on. First one, uh, as we've been talking about everything with Starship and their big successful flight, albeit the fact that it was destroyed in the flight, has caused some uh, interest down in Texas. Uh, Larry, I'm going to hand this one over to you. Thanks, Sawyer. So uh, as as we're all well aware by now, last month, uh, the Starship test launch went off and uh, after a few minutes in flight exploded over the Gulf of Mexico. 
uh, and following that uh, flight, the launch pad was a bit of a mess and um, caused the Federal Aviation Administration to ground the company's launch program, saying that SpaceX had to perform analyses to ensure that the public was not exposed to unacceptable risks. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service said the explosion sent, quote, numerous large concrete chunks, stainless steel sheets, metal, and other objects, unquote, flying over the area, along with a cloud of pulverized concrete that deposited material nearly seven miles from the launch site. So this led to a lot of investigations, uh, both within the FAA, which is ongoing, and outside in the general public, among the most comprehensive ones that I'm aware of or is by our friend, uh, the ESG hound on Twitter, who uh, discovered that SpaceX should have prepared and submitted a full-blown environmental impact statement. And instead, they delivered what's called a programmatic environmental assessment, which is a much less comprehensive and far less detailed assessment of environmental conditions on the site and surrounding areas and requires less stringent, less accurate, and less detailed calculations to determine risk and the affected areas of that risk. And with the facility SpaceX wants to build on Boca Chica, such as a natural gas refinery and gas pipelines to supply that refinery, uh, an environmental impact statement is usually a foregone conclusion. The problem is that getting an environmental impact statement approved for these sorts of land uses can take two or three years, sometimes longer. But yet, for some reason, the FAA didn't require it before the April 20th Starship test launch. So now SpaceX is in a bit of a pickle, and so is the FAA, which is being sued by a group of environmentalists because of perceived lack of adequate oversight of SpaceX in approving the launch license. What's more, SpaceX is now suing to be added as a defendant in the lawsuit alongside the FAA. The speculation there centers on SpaceX expecting a mostly favorable outcome that would apply to them as well as to the FAA, which would stop the environmental group from filing an additional lawsuit against SpaceX down the road. Because uh, that, that would, I'm sure, take entirely too much additional time to resolve for Musk's liking. So there seems to be a fair amount of work needs to be done at this point before SpaceX gets to fly a starship again, and that the six to eight week turnaround time, I believe Musk estimated right after the latest test launch, might be optimistic. There may be some red faces at the FAA these days, which may also result in them slowing things down a bit. So uh, anyway, the general consensus among critics and regulators is that Elon Musk is cracking the whip on his employees and contractors 24 hours a day and making them move too fast for their own good. And the latest example of this we found in Bastrop County, Texas, which is 30 minutes southeast of Austin. Musk is building a warehouse, factory, and testing facilities for the boring company there. In a Washington Post article dated May 28, 2023, by Gene Whalen, Whalen has found a local activist named Chap Ambrose, who says Musk has taken over the green pastures and the narrow county road that fronts the facility. 
He leads a group of local residents who want Musk's companies to slow down and address concerns they have about the environmental risks of the development. For instance, in September 2021, the Texas DOT found there was an unpermitted driveway into Boring's site that posed a traffic hazard to the public. Months later, the problem still remained. Boring also began to construct buildings, housing, and other facilities in a project designed basically to turn the property into a company town for its employees. Not long after, complaints started rolling in from regulators, the article says. Uh, Boring was notified it was operating an unpermitted septic system and gave it 60 days to fix the problem. Well, that deadline came and went without the problem being fixed, according to the notice of violation that was issued May 17th of 2022. Chap Ambrose began flying his drone over the construction site and filmed work crews pumping water from the site into a roadside drainage ditch. The Texas Commission on Environmental Quality issued a violation over the, quote, discharge of sediment-laden water, unquote. Boring also wants to discharge sewage into the nearby Colorado River. The mayor of the city of Bastrop wants Boring to treat its wastewater at the city's new sewage treatment plant instead. Boring's consultant said that Boring aimed to do that in the long run, but a connection to the city plant doesn't exist yet. So there's another example of the hurry up, don't wait, can't stop for anything sort of mantra that Musk's companies live by. So earlier this month, Tesla broke ground on a lithium factory it's building near Corpus Christi. While standing in front of a cyber truck, Musk thanked the state for helping him move fast. That's how we do things, Musk said. So say what you want about some of these complaints being an example of NIMBY syndrome, not in my backyard, uh, but they are no less valid for all that. Yeah, Larry, I was going through um, what you were saying, and and I read the the piece that you'd showed us. Also, if memory serves, too, um, there was a a farmer in the area that they had talked to, and you know he basically said that this is like the Wild West. He's and I'm trying to find the quote here because I'm looking at. Yeah, here it is. It, it, the gentleman's name was Skip Conant. Um, he he says, quote. To quote the article, uh, again, this is the Washington Post, um, between Elon Musk coming in here and all the sand gravel mines, suddenly this bucolic pastoral prime farmland is more than a thousand acres of an industrial site. There's no zoning. There are no rules. It's the Wild West. And that's kind of what we saw, too, at Boca Chica. It just seemed like it was the Wild West, what was going on over there. Um, yes, and, and to be fair, uh, guys like that farmer and and Chap Ambrose, especially, they like Elon Musk. They like uh, his his style. They like his his goals and aspirations. Uh, but they they they're just afraid that these companies they that they only only behave. I think, as Chap Ambrose put it, they only only behave when someone is watching. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, uh, there's there's another gentleman here, um, another individual. I'm sorry, uh, Judea Ross, who's a real estate agent, said uh, uh, he went into 
a meeting feeling neutral about this entire issue in the area. But then after coming out, listening to what was going on, he found the representative of the Boring Company's replies during that meeting kind of evasive. And again, it seems that is the same way that a lot of Elon Musk's companies operate, where they don't kind of, I mean, everybody used to kid NASA around, you know, saying never a straight answer. Well, um, this this tells me too that it's also the same thing with some of Musk's companies as well. And to be fair, Jadea Ross said in in the uh, in the article, and this is the last part of it. I love Elon. We need more industry here. I just don't want him dumping his, you know, garbage into the river. I think the word he used was poop. Okay, I'm yeah. I'm sorry. That that's I believe that's the exact quote. But um, let me let me just scroll. Yeah, you're right. That's the exact quote. But um, it it just seems to me that that's the way the company seems to be operating. They seem to be operating on the basis of yeah, it's better to go ahead and ask forgiveness than permission, and things just don't work that way. Um, to be fair, too, during the uh, the uh, launch of the uh, the Starship Super Heavy booster, when you were talking about uh, you know garbage, you know concrete and and all of this stuff being thrown, you know six or seven miles out, it also went into a populated area. If I remember exactly, there's a there's a small town not about six miles away from the launch pad uh, to give this some sort of perspective launch complex 39a is 12 miles away from any kind of uh population center so it is it's kind of double that yeah even for public viewing you're basically looking at about 12 miles away and yeah there's the small boca chica village which i know spacex has tried to buy out those houses many many times and People are sticking to their ground and staying in their homes. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, it's it's you know, dare I invoke the movie Up? But um, yeah, <laughs> it's it, it it's kind of the same thing. Where this is my house, I ain't moving. Too bad. Um, and and you're absolutely correct, Sawyer. And that's where you have the clashes going on. And I mean, yeah, I I, I want progress. You know, and I want things to to move, and I want things to to uh, to continue into the future here. But I also want it done in a intelligent way, where we're not going ahead and destroying you know, why we're we're doing all of this to begin with. And, and and I think that's that's what we're taking taking out out from all of this. That there just seems to be a connection here now. I'm I'm going to go on to um, a, a personal note here. Um, back in I believe it was, and Mark, you were with you were kind of with me on this little expedition. This was the first launch attempt for STS-134, which we we kind of sat and 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 we were hoping to to bring live to people. And unfortunately, because of certain mitigating circumstances, there was a scrub. And uh, we, we could not do that. But a part of that was a tour of Launch Complex 40. 
And I've, I've kind of said this a few times to, to a few people, uh, but I don't think I've ever, ever said it here on, on talking space is there just seemed to be something off. There was a, when we went to go ahead and do the tour of launch complex 40, first we get into the tour bus um, instead of having, you know, the usual folks, you know, the you know, there's usually somebody in a NASA polo shirt or something like that. Our tour guide had a um, look like something out of the big Lebowski and he was wearing a, a Hawaiian shirt. There was rock and roll music blaring over, over the PA. And I'm like, okay, fine. And he had some nice kind words to say about um, STS-134 and the whole shuttle program coming to an end. But also the feeling we got too is, okay, that's going away. We're here. It's all ours. We'll deal with it now. Ha. And uh, you know, it, it was that kind of attitude. And when we got to Launch Complex 40, it was a very interesting situation. Ken Bowersox at that time, you know, former NASA astronaut, now the uh, NASA associate administrator, um, he was part of SpaceX at the time. And he usually when they give uh, presentations and a former astronaut is there, um, part of this and part of the, the leading the charge, so to speak, he's usually front and center. And to be honest, Sawyer, you can, you can concur with this. We eat that stuff up. I mean, a, a former NASA astronaut talking about something that he is, is involved with. Beautiful. You know, we, we eat that stuff up. Was Ken Bauer socks front and center on, on this, this? No, they had another another SpaceX manager kind of giving us the tour, and all Ken Ken did was just kind of pace back and forth, back and forth, behind the engines and near the 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 end of the hiff. And I always wondered what that was all about. Later, he left SpaceX, and I I never could figure out why that occurred. But to to get on with 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 the whole tour. I asked a, a few pointed questions and I really got an evasive answer, um, on, on some things. And it, it again, I, I, reading the article, Larry, I was, I was brought back to that point back in 2014 where it just seemed a lot of the things that just rubbed me the wrong way back then are part and parcel of what I was reading here. And I don't know if this is just the way the company operates overall or what the way Elon Musk likes to operate overall. But again, I'm just, I don't know. I just get bad vibes. And, and from that point forward, that's why I've had bad vibes now, both now to in, 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 in all honesty, I love what they're doing because they've really changed. They've really sent the whole, you know, um, idea of, 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 of launch services on its ear. They've really gone ahead and energized things. People are, 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 are starting to think outside the box and it's all because of what SpaceX has accomplished and what they've done. They've really forced that. And I love them for it because now people are really having to think about what the next booster ha is going to be like, how economical is it going to be to operate and so on. But right. 
you know, there, there's always that, that thing there, like, you know, what are we doing? What's the cost? Right. Well, you know, I, what I hope is that, uh, people like ESG hound and people like us and people like, uh, like uh, chap Ambrose do their part and uh, keep things in the open, keep bring them to light and, you know, hold uh, SpaceX's feet to the fire and make them do the right thing. And I guess we'll find out. Yeah. I mean, Eric, Eric Roche, I believe is, is the gentleman's name and, and he's done a human service in, in all of this. Now, again, he is not someone that, you know, does that for a living. He does other environmental work. Um, but he is really, if you lay down and look at, at the blog, he's really, really gone through the dreary chain of chain of causality on this. Yep. He sure has. I, I looked at his stuff and just kind of shook my head and said, you know, great work. It is great work. And just side note, Jim Williams is the only space person that should be rocking Hawaiian shirts. Shout out to Jim. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> All right. Now, we've talked about SpaceX a bunch, but there is another provider that is set to bring crew up into space, and that is Boeing with their Starliner vehicle. Now, they were recently going through their final certification just a few weeks ago to allow for the first crew flight to the International Space Station with Starliner when some major red flags came up in items that uh, would reduce their safety margin significantly. One involving the parachute and one involving a specific type of tape and potentially its adhesive. Gene? Yes. Uh, there was a press conference, I believe, uh, just, just this past week on this. This whole thing came to light, uh, on the Thursday just before the Memorial Day break. Uh, Mark Nappy, who is the, uh, who is the Boeing representative on the call, Basically indicated that, uh, they were, were, as you said, Sawyer, they were closing out all of their, the, all the paperwork, getting ready for, uh, the, uh, the crew flight test. Uh, OFT2, they had, they had some wrinkles here and there, but all in all, a, a beautiful success. So they were com- getting all of that together, completing the certifications, and they found two things going on. One was the flight rationale for, for the, uh, the parachutes. Apparently there was some indications that the, uh, the chutes, uh, with, with the latches they had, the connecting to, for the connecting lines. Apparently the load variances they had were basically the wrong numbers. So, uh, the idea was that the chute, if one of the three chutes fail, it might bring on a failure of one of the other two remaining shoots. And that's not a good thing. If you remember during the Apollo program, for instance, we had a couple of shoot failures where one shoot failed to, to fully reef and, and, or just not reef at all. And, uh, and, and the vehicle, you know, splashed down on two shoots. Uh, this would not be a good thing for the crew inside if you had two shoots fail. So they felt that they ran their numbers again. And unfortunately, yes, it looked like that the two shoot that 
that this whole load thing was was totally wrong. Now, in all fairness to the uh, shoot manufacturer, uh, the uh, shoot manufacturer in this instance is Airborne Systems. Uh, they make the shoots for the Orion spacecraft. They're making the shoots for, again, the Boeing Starliner. And if I believe correctly, they also provide the shoots for the SpaceX Crew Dragon. Um, I also, too, think that they were involved um, on several JPL missions and uh, are involved in other in, in several other space um, space missions as well. So the whole idea of providing entry, descent, and landing systems is, is kind of like their bread and butter. So before everybody kind of, you know, goes a little ballistic on, on, on Boeing and all of this, yeah, maybe they should have been collaborating a little bit closer with, with the provider, providing the right, right loads and the right, uh, and the right data for the shoots. But again, this is a, this is a little bit of a nonconformity. They're going to go ahead, take a look, run their numbers again, do all the corrective, uh, hardware that they need to do and they'll, get back with this. The other problem was the, uh, was a problem with the adhesive on a tape, which is, I guess, classified as P P two one three L W. Um, this is a aeronautics level, um, tape. Some people were characterizing this as masking tape which was wrong. Um, this, this tape is basically uh, put around all, a lot of the elect- electrical connections and the wiring inside the Starliner. And it's to prevent any chafing that might expose a wire and cause a short. And as you know, from, from history and, and Apollo one, that doesn't mix well with uh with an atmosphere of any any kind you don't want to fire on board a spacecraft so um this protective tape is basically used in in essence for cable management to make sure not only to to you know wrap the cables together but to also make sure that they don't chafe or or do anything well a study was found that again the adhesive used on this tape from the provider and i don't know which one it was, uh, may be flammable. That's bad. And I know that it, it all really depends too on the extent that the tape is used inside the Starliner. So that's really, you know, where this is going. I don't really know how extensively the bundles were wrapped on board Star Starliner with using this tape. I know there are several providers and several companies that provide the tape, and I don't know which which company that Boeing was using for this. Um, I do know that this type of tape is used by ESA as well, and I do know that it is used on some parts of the International Space Station right now. So this tape issue may have a lot more, far more implications than, you know, just the Starliner. So Boeing may have done them a favor in finding this, um, especially for companies that are using this kind of tape. So I, I don't know what other, what other firms are using this in aerospace applications and in space applications, 
But again, Boeing may have just, you know, unfortunately, they may have taken the black eye and found this this black swan that uh, keeps invading them. But this could have far more far more reaching implications than just for Starliner. I don't know if again, I don't know if if it's used elsewhere and I don't know if it's used on Orion or any other human rated spacecraft. From what I've heard in terms of the tape itself, the flammability risk increases in anywhere with an atmosphere of 23% oxygen or more. Now, keep in mind, they will be using nitrox inside the capsule or nitrogen and oxygen, the two most prevalent uh, elements in our atmosphere anyway. So I guess it would also depend on what level of nitrogen versus oxygen they use which would make a difference. And secondly, it's also, like you mentioned, how much is used and where is it used? Because if anyone's yep. done the you know, science experiment as a kid, where you take two pieces of electrical tape together and pull them apart, you can occasionally see a spark. Now, you still put it all around your wires around the house and everything, and it's not going to catch fire because of that, but it can spark in the right condition. Yeah, sorry, I'm glad you mentioned that experiment because I did that when I heard about this. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's again, I mean, I know that they're, they're trying to err on the side of caution. There's a lot riding on Starliner. NASA wants to get two individuals, individual companies sent, giving them launch services to the, to the international space station. Right now we've only got one and that's, that's SpaceX. And having two is is really, really at the heart of what NASA wants to do. They want to get competition together. They want to get, um, you know, they, they want to have a second, they want to have a second provider too, in the event something happens as well. So they really want assured access to low Earth orbit. And that's really what we're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of people questioning at this point, why don't you just dump Boeing at this point like you know how many crew launches do we need you've got Orion you've got Starship in work you've got uh, Crew Dragon so at this point why do you now also need Starliner and again you're I think the best way to think about it is splitting it up into different classes and different purposes so Orion is to get out to the moon and eventually Lunar Gateway Uh, Starship while it can launch people from Earth its main goal for now, will be to act as the lunar lander for Artemis 3 and 4. SpaceX is currently doing their thing of, yes, the current contract with the ISS and NASA, but also the private missions like Axiom. And so then you add in Boeing as well. So you get all these different players doing different things. And if something happens to Dragon, Boeing is there. And if something happens to Boeing, as we've seen, Crew Dragon is there. So it's kind of just that variance is absolutely needed. So yeah, there may not be as many flights for it to the ISS, especially if they do go ahead with the deorbit in 2031. But just like SpaceX is doing, the capsule could be used for pretty much anything if a customer will pay for it. Right, Sawyer. And the capsules too, their their missions are different. Orion Using Orion to get to the ISS is kind of like using a, a 10-pound sledge to, to, to swat a gnat. Um, the, the, the missions of both of those, those spacecraft are, are very different. Same thing with, with, uh, 
with uh, the uh, the SpaceX uh, uh, Starship, that too is is kind of you know it, it's it, again it, it's it's overkill. So you really want to use the right tool for the right job. And NASA wants to have one one SpaceX flight, one Boeing flight per year. And Sawyer, again, I'm glad you mentioned that um, that a lot of a lot of people have been questioning, uh, you know, why why have Boeing in there? Because that came up in the press conference. Um, a uh, I believe it was uh, Eric Berger from uh, RS Technica br- brought that up, and he does that unfortunately a lot, um, and he always gets the same response from Boeing which is, no, we don't really intend to get out of this. We are here for the duration. We are here for the long haul. Um, when Mark Nappy was asked that question, he basically said, we're looking at the future of Starliner because we want to see what, um, what booster can Starliner ride on after um, the Atlas V flies out and they are looking at all of the providers. That means they're looking at SpaceX, they're looking at ULA and they're, they're looking at uh, blue origin as well with, uh, with new Glenn. So uh, that was one of the things that they really, really wanted to emphasize. They are here for the duration. And also with all, all due respect to Chris Davenport really challenged Mark Nappy the same way. Um, basically saying that he did not give the definitive answer when, when Eric Berger presented that and Davenport really wanted to pin him down on that. And um, he said, no, again, we are looking at the future of Starliner. We want to continue to fly it and uh, want to measure what booster Starliner can fly on. And I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm a little tired of, of hearing some of, some of this, uh, this, you know, oh, Boeing should just get out of it. No, the whole purpose is to have two providers, um, not only for NASA's use, but for later on when the commercial stations get up there. And so that people will have choices. They'll have two providers and that will also provide competition for, for pricing and so on, for getting crew to the, uh, um, to the commercial uh, Leo destinations that NASA wants to set up in the future after ISS basically ends. I have two final thoughts and then I'll open up to final comments on it. But the two things that I want to point out is number one, that this is not like, Oh, it's going to instantly create a fire by touching it or, Oh, the parachute is guaranteed to snap. If you launch now, it has minimized their safety margins. So the safety margins are smaller than they like. So it's not like it's an instant failure, just a higher risk of it, which they are going in to fix out of their own pocket. So you, if you're an American as a taxpayer, do not have to foot that bill. And second, one thing that people forget is that Boeing has never built their own capsule. Sure, they've helped with parts on the shuttle. Sure, they helped with stages on the Saturn V. But they have never built their own individual capsule. So they're starting from scratch rather than, say, SLS, which is using some heritage hardware like the RS-25s and the segments for the solid rocket boosters. And SpaceX as well, because they had their growing pains during commercial mm-hmm. cargo. 
And we're able to work out a lot of those growing pains during that period of time. Boeing didn't have that, that chance to do that. So, you know, uh, for, for, you know, everybody kind of playing, don't pile on the rabbit with Boeing here. I mean, yeah. Okay, fine. What they found is bad, but you know, as you said too, it was all about uh, safety margins and we're talking about manufacturers too. I mean, uh, the, the people that, that manufacture the, the shoots, um, uh, air, you know, airborne systems, they've been in this business, you know, since things started, since you need parachutes. And I will go ahead and say this, as Issa will tell you with uh, the Rosalind Franklin lander, parachutes are really finicky things to play with. You really got to get the geometry right. You really want to make sure things work because you know your mission depends on them. And in the case of of uh, of bringing astronauts home, their lives depend on it. So you want to make sure you get get all the I's dotted and T's crossed. So the long and short of it is, yeah, it's it's a shame that it's going to get delayed even more. But reminder that safety comes first in all of this. You'd rather be uh, on the ground wishing you were in the air than in the air wishing you were on the ground. So uh, it's an indefinite delay. It's definitely not helping Boeing's reputation in any way, shape, or form. But if when it does fly, the crew gets up there and comes back safely, that's objective number one. Yep, agreed. Mark, you had a couple of things you wanted to say uh, about this, if I'm not mistaken. Gee, I was trying not to say anything, but it's a shame Boeing didn't discover this like at the beginning instead of a month before they're set to have their launch. I mean, really? Nobody thought of this? However, it's a good thing that whoever brought it up did. Otherwise, the silence would have been deafening and... Well, there you go. You know, Mark, you, you basically hit on something. Does any does anybody remember um, the uh, uh, the HBO series that was on about Apollo from the Earth to the Moon? Or yes, yes, that one. There was a scene there where, and this is actually happened. This actually happened. Where a uh, coworker, go- where where a worker goes into uh, the uh, the project manager's office, they're building the lamb. This is over in Grumman, and he go he goes, "I found something," and a lot of it, it was all based on the assumption of the weight of the spacecraft, of of the lamb and and the landing legs and so on, and he found out that. Guess what? All of their assumptions were dead wrong. The landing legs would collapse if they are used in this configuration. And the project manager is looking through it and he's like, sir, all of our assumptions are based on these numbers from this point forward. And he's looking at the, at, at the, at the papers and he just keeps on looking at it and says, go home. And he, he expects Okay, yeah, this is my last day. I'm fired. And he goes, and get some sleep. He goes, no, 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 this is bad. Don't get me wrong. But you came over here and you pointed it out. You didn't shove it under the rug. We've got, we, we can, so that's, that's the good part. Now we can go ahead and we can fix this. And I think that's, 
the point where Boeing has been at. Yeah, it seems like they've, they've been having attack of the black swans now through the pr- program. And again, Sawyer, I think you clarified that, whereas they've never built their own capsule before um, and they haven't had the chance to kind of make the mistakes that, say, SpaceX has had with the with the commercial cargo program. So again, for people playing, you know, don't pile on the rabbit with this. I, I really have to go ahead and and say use some better judgment. The only thing I could say that's really annoying from all of that is the valves that need to be replaced again. The same ones that delayed me while I was in the parking lot of a restaurant in Titusville waiting for OFT two. So <laughs> I will. I want my hot dog back. <laughs> Yeah, and and the valves, if if, if I remember, are built by uh, Marauders Scientific Controls here in um, not too far away from where I live in Montville, New Jersey. Here, all I know is I can't think of that hot dog place the same because that was where I got the word they scrubbed it because of the valve. So you owe me hot dogs now. <laughs> and on that note, uh, now that I'm hungry, let's bring this episode to its conclusion. Uh, I'd like to thank everyone who joined us here tonight. Thank you for joining us, Gene McCulka. Fun conversation and Sawyer again. It's nice to have you back in the saddle. Thank again. you. Uh, thank you as well, Mark Ratterman. Bye. <laughs> what a way with words. <laughs> and thank you so for joining us, Larry Heron. Happy to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. Dr. Kat Robinson will hopefully be back with us very soon, and we hope you'll be back with us soon. But until then, as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be, where you are.